E-S-N-Y. always with my co-host chip murphy chip what's going on man how you doing i'm very good man how are you doing good doing good as well uh for me this is the last week of work before vacation new york city schools close after thursday uh so i'm very much looking forward to that i'm, I'm sure i'll be able to catch up on some writing um some family stuff and and other things as well so um it's a you know the week before vacation it's stressful but it's always like you know, you, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and as always, of course, we are pumped to be talking hoops again. Um, our last episode featured uh, Shwini Poo from the Strickland. And uh, tonight we're keeping it within the Knicks family. Uh, our, our guest, similar to Schwinn, needs no introduction. Uh, co-founder of Knicks Film School, uh, the new, you know, hot uh, podcast and Twitter handle for all things New York Mets, the Mets Fix, and the Metropolitan Newsletter. Jeffrey Ballone, known to everyone as JB. JB, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. I, I didn't realize I was following up Schwinn, so so this uh, puts the pressure on. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a great episode. I'm, I'm sure it'll be the same here as well, too. Good, good. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as luck would have it, we, we scheduled this, you know, kind of podcast about a week, maybe a week and a half ago. And um, of course, uh, you know, we have something very big to talk about tonight. The New York Knicks have traded for Derrick Rose. This is not his first time in orange and blue. Uh, it'll be a second go around. And there's so much to talk about this trade you know, from how it will affect the current members of the team uh, to how it impacts things going forward. But I thought we would just start off with a very general discussion. I, I think when you when you first heard about the trade, JB, what were your initial thoughts? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's funny how this season has unfolded, or really just the past year, if you, if you think about it, because, um, you know, it, obviously a lot of things have happened off the court that has made, you know, th- this year strange. Um, but also, you know, with the Knicks in terms of how much has really changed in, in that short period of time. And um, I think with Tibbs coming in and, and obviously the new you know, regime with Leon Rose, I expected that they were going to eventually make some moves where they would bring in some, some veteran presence that wasn't just you know like an end of the bench type of guy. And then that didn't really happen in, in free agency completely. Um, so I guess my first reaction was kind of like, okay, here we are. Like, this is what I was expecting to, to, you know, to happen where they were going to make a move for like a favored veteran. Um, and, and that's what they did. And I think because of the way the Knicks have been playing, um, there's maybe a little bit of leeway the fans would give versus if they were, you know, 
terrible uh, record-wise, and then you know they bring in Rose, and it might impact young guys' minutes. I understand there's still a lot of Knicks fans flipping out no matter what, but I feel like maybe that's given a, t- a tiny bit of um, <laughs> protection on the Knicks right now. Chip, um, what about yourself? Yeah, pretty much the same. I think uh, at first I overreacted probably a little bit. Emmanuel quickly related overreaction. But uh, yeah, the fact that they're winning right now definitely changed my reaction towards the whole thing because, I mean, also I I saw the, I think it was, I forget, Mark Berman, uh, Ian Begley, who said that uh, Austin Rivers is probably uh, moving out of the rotation Alfred Payton, uh, there's a playoff team interested in Alfred Payton. So there's a lot of moving parts being involved in all of this. The Knicks aren't done moving uh, around. And also, I wasn't surprised at all. Yeah, Tibbs has probably been pushing for this since he took the job. I'm sure he really wants Derrick Rose, and Derrick Rose probably really wanted to get out of Detroit because they're terrible, and he probably wanted to go to the playoffs. So this wasn't a big surprise, and uh, it's not – the disaster that we think it's going that some think it's going to be, but look, it, it all depends on how Tibbs uses D Rose is my opinion. Like, is he really going to treat him like he's the D Rose he's coached before, or is he going to treat him like the D Rose that he really is now? Yeah. Who's the guy that was averaging 22 minutes a game with the Pistons in 15 games? Like, is he going to keep him in that role? Or is D Rose going to go back to averaging 30 to 32 minutes a game? That's, that's what it depends on. I think that's a really good point. Um, even, you know, before we came on, I was just looking. Um, and, and I think at baseline, you see that there's an improvement in the margins that's coming with this move. Like Rose is averaging 14 on 43% shooting, 33% from three, 84 from the line. The latter two stats there are a definite improvement from Alfred Payton. But the one thing I was kind of interested in with this move, just based on the perception of who Derrick Rose is or was, was kind of his points in transition. Because as, as we know, the Knicks have really suffered in transition this year. Um, they're not really a fast break team. They don't really push the pace. But Derrick Rose is averaging, like I think, like 1.8 points in transition. Um, so, I, I mean, like I – like. On a base level, I, I see the logic behind this move, but I also agree, Chip, with you that, you know, it really just does depend, like, is Alfred Payton going to get waived? Is he going to get moved to another team? Um, how does Tibbs, you know, divvy up the the guard, the, the minutes between guards? Just because if Alfred Payton's on the roster, and I was saying this to Chip a little bit before yeah. we got on, I just don't see him getting benched. And I was having an argument with my friend via text, who's also a big Knicks fan, and he was like, he was like, oh, Peyton's going to ride the pine. And I was like, I don't see that. I don't see that at all. Um, JB, where do you, where do you see these minutes distribution? How do you see it playing out? And do you think as Knicks fans, we're going to be more disappointed uh, because IQ will be affected or do you, do you not see that happening? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the reporting surrounding the trade suggests that, um, you, you know, the Knicks are almost trying to get it out there that Quickly's minutes won't be as impacted as people think, just connecting the dots, right? And, you know, I think it was Begley who said last night that, um, you know, you can play 
quickly, you know, on or off the ball, right? So it, it you could yeah, he said it on low post today that you could play them together too. Right. Yeah. Right. So you could play them together. Um I think this is, you know, it's funny because New York sports fans, you know, I think we all carry this sort of title of being like the educated fan base, right? And, and particularly with, with basketball. But one thing I do wonder, and I group myself, you know, in this is we have watched losing basketball for so long now, like literally two decades, that it's like, I just don't know anymore if some of these complaints in terms of the rotation um, like I get the logic behind them, but I guess what I'm trying to say is we, we've sort of lost the trust to say, you know, Tibbs is a winning coach. He's already proven that he's outperformed with this roster as it is. Maybe he will figure out a way to both manage the minutes and make sure that Quickly's development doesn't completely just, you know, fall down, um, you know, because they bring in Rose. And I, I think that's, that's like the hardest part sometimes as Nick fans, we're just so used to these things not working out, you know, a, a Jarrett Jack coming in and taking minutes um, that we just don't know, like, well, what, you know, what happens if maybe you do have a real coach and a real coaching staff who knows how to develop these guys and they aren't, it's within their interest to succeed and, um, you know, to, to trust what they're doing. It, it sounds weird to say that, but I just think this is the first time the Knicks have a coaching staff where I feel like that it, it's possible your trust won't just be, you know, lost in the wind. I think that's a, a really good point. And you know what, a question that I wanted to ask you along that line, and I've asked it to, you know, we were lucky enough to have um, Mike Vorkanoff come on the podcast and we tried, we talked a little bit with Schwinn about it as well. But something that I'm still so very interested in this year is kind of a, a system of checks and balances for Tibbs and what it is and who, if anyone, is able to kind of rein him in or talk to him about what we perceive maybe as like uh, negative trends in terms of his coaching style or his rotations, right? And I and I totally agree with you that as fans, like it, it's true that we've lost that trust. Um, and I and I generally trust Tibbs. I like the hire. I was for it, but the, there there are a couple of things that I do see that raise eyebrows a little bit. Like whether it's you know I don't know if they're still leading the league in minutes, but RJ and Randall um, certainly you know something related to this. I if IQ's minutes were to get affected somehow, that would be something that I would worry about. But I do remember prior to the season starting it seemed like again in perception Leon Rose put together you know this uh, coaching staff with the help of Tibbs and a front office that kind of complements his strengths and weaknesses as a coach and in my mind I was like I really think hopefully this is going to work out perfectly because you have people who are both um, maybe of um, and I feel like this isn't a great way to characterize just like Tibbs's thinking as just old school um, because I know he's more than that as a coach, but I think right. there's people around him that have different strengths, whether it's more analytically based or anything like that. But I wonder if there's anybody within the coaching staff that, or front office that talks to him and says, Hey, we got to, you know, rein that in a little bit, or we got to try and figure out a way to get more open threes where we're last in the league and threes attempted and made. Um, do you see that, you know, changing at all? Or, or do you feel like, 
listen, Leon Rose put Tibbs in charge because he is for what Tibbs does and Tibbs is going to Tibbs basically. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I, we know that they've hired more people for their analytics staff. They're, you know, they're, there are these hirings that during off season, it's like they sneak up, like people will somehow search like LinkedIn pages and figure out that they, they hired some analytics person. Um, so we know that they've done that. The question, you know, like you're saying is whether that translates into different decisions on the court that I'm not sure of. I think that it's definitely possible in making roster decisions in terms of maybe who to sign or who to trade for you can imagine that with a bitter, bigger analytics staff, um, you know, Leon Rose is, is uh, relying on that information. But, you know, that's different than bringing something to a veteran coach and saying, you know, you got to do this. And, and this happens in, in all sports. I mean, I know because I'm a, a hockey guy and strangely a, a Toronto fan. Um, they had Mike Babcock, who is sort of like a, a Tibbs in some ways of hockey, who was their, their coach until, you know, recently. And they were, their front office though was young and analytically minded. And that was an issue where Babcock ended up getting fired because again, they could make roster decisions on who they signed based on analytics, but they had a really hard time to get him to follow through. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's a good question to see. I, I also think obviously there's limitations with the roster. I mean, this is why everyone gets upset with Alfred Payton beyond, you know, maybe other things is he can't hit a three point shot. So, you know, that when, you know, I, I've always said the Knicks are built a bit awkwardly when you're, you know, this is kind of overused all the time, but I'll say they're cornerstone stone players of Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett don't shoot threes. If you now add another player that doesn't shoot threes, I mean, that that really makes it tough to build a, a lineup that's going to, um, you know, stretch the floor at all. So, so yeah, so I think it's a combination of, of those things. I think um, Tortorella was the same way when he had success with the Rangers, right? I mean, like he, I think he was very kind of defensive minded and, and old school as well. Um, yeah, and you can imagine he he probably gave colorful responses when you know some some kid tried to bring down the the analytics report, that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I could see that for sure. Um, the other thing about this trade that I wanted to ask you and talk about was, and I was kind of surprised to see this. I did see some reporting that the Knicks are actually considering re-signing uh, Rose in the off season. I don't think it gave too much detail in, in the sense of how many years or, or whatever. I mean, that's not a conversation that you have now, but um, I was in my mind, I was hoping that this was more posturing in the media to try and maybe boost Alfred Payton's trade value. Um, you know, to say, I don't know, but um, were you surprised, you know, when you, when you read about that or, or heard about that, or do you think that, maybe the Knicks are legitimately considering that? Yeah, no, I think when you think about what they gave up, right? So if they had given up, I know like Kevin Knox came up in, in discussion. Um, if they had given up more, and you know, the second round pick they gave up isn't nothing. It just feels like nothing because they have for once a lot, like a lot of extra picks. Right. Um, but it is, you know, a, a higher second round pick at least. But I think because of what they gave up, I'm a little more surprised because I think the logic would be if you gave up a real 
asset or piece to get him, why would you do that on a rental? Meaning, you know, the thought is you're probably bringing them in because you want to kind of get them involved with this group and then re-sign them. Um, but, you know, if he left the team, would, you know, would we be heartbroken that they gave up Dennis Smith Jr. in the 40th pick in the draft? I don't, I don't think so. So, um, so yeah, I guess I'm, I'm a, a, a little surprised based on what, what they gave up. Um, you know, and, and I guess the question is, where, what is Rose now? You know, I mean, that's, that's what's always interesting. I mean, he's 32 years old. I mean, obviously this year his numbers are, are, are down, you know, pretty much across the board. Um, what does he evolve into? You know, some players are better than others in terms of as they get older, uh, finding sort of a new role to play. Um, so I, I think that matters too, because then, you know, if you're bringing him back for six or $7 million and it's a player that Tibbs is comfortable with and he's playing in the right role, then, you know, that's a different story than what I think most people would, would categorize as like LOL Knicks if they, you know, re-signed him to some ridiculous contract that no one else would give them. Right. Um, I think as we kind of move along in the next conversation, the next piece that I want to touch on is just another kind of general feel um, thoughts on the season so far and how they should approach the trade deadline. Obviously uh, we're sitting at 11 and 14. I, I think we're at eighth right now in the East uh, or maybe slightly below um, have a game, another game against the heat coming up. There's been a lot of positivity uh, of course, as we mentioned earlier, as Knicks fans, we'll find anything to complain about. And, and we have, you know, um, but by and large, we've exceeded expectations, which has been great. Um, so just thoughts about the season so far, what you've enjoyed watching and, and how you think they should approach the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, it is really too bad that, you know, there, there's obviously no, no fans because I've always said that I think the most exciting time to be at MSG or, or even to watch the Knicks play a home game where you can feel energy through the TV is when the Knicks are on the way up, you know, like that is just, there's just something about it where it's weird. Like it's New York, it's big market, you know, but at the same time, there, there is that like sort of blue collar underdog feel some, you know, like everyone wants the nineties Knicks with the defense and the grit. Like it's so weird. Like you would think New York would be, you know, maybe because of the Yankees, like you would think it would be about like, oh, it's just about, you know, the star players and, right. and, and that. And that. But so I think it's fun that there's, fun, you know, they, they're finally act, you know, you can actually watch them. They're not five and 18 or something right now and out of it. I think it's helped that Dallas has played the way they have because it's almost like that constant battle Knicks fans have of, I want the team to be a little better, but I don't want to lose the lottery pick. Well, the fact that now you're, you you could get a lottery pick from Dallas, it's like, you know, I think that's that's hedged a little bit where Knicks fans are like, all right, you know what? If they end out, you know, with the nine, maybe they just miss the playoffs. I know this year, I guess they're expanding with the 10 teams, but if they just miss and, you know, they don't have the highest lottery pick, but now they got two because Dallas fell out. You know, I can live with that. And, and the fact that, you know, they've won a lot of games because young players have played well. And I always say you can't, you know, tanking is one thing if you're just playing, you know, Ennis Cantor or something. But, um, and, you know, I get it. People get be mad if Derek Rose comes in and they start winning games with him. But right now they've won a lot of nights because RJ Barrett had a big night because quickly had a big fourth quarter. 
Um, so to me, that's all been fun. And, um, you know, to, I guess, just answer everything at once with the trade deadline. I mean, I just think that Rose, Tibbs, I, I still think their viewpoint isn't, we're going to build this slow and steady through the draft. I think it's, I think literally like when they're having conversations quietly amongst themselves in, in, or even in deciding to do this, I think they're like, if we could just make them just sort of good, where the Knicks were just not the worst team in the league, then we will get free agents to come here. We will be able to build it up. And I think that's kind of their mentality. And, and I think they're close to that now. Um, so they're not going to do anything crazy. Like I think make like some crazy trade to, to jump them to like the sixth seed or something. But I think they want to get in that range where they're, you know, sniffing the playoffs, they're respectable. And then they can start doing things where, you know, they're no longer worried. Like they're literally the worst team in the league. So who's going to want to play for them? Yeah. Thibodeau's kind of in that weird, uh, difficult position now where he needs to weigh uh developing young players versus winning games obviously like you mentioned we're all enjoying watching uh the team win for the first time and god knows how long but we're also jeff said the first ones to complain so when we see obi toppin play four minutes then we're all going to be like what the hell's going on here but uh so i wanted to ask you uh what's like your ideal finish for this season yeah like do you want to see them make a run at like the eighth seed like make another move like they did with Derek Rose or do you want to see them not necessarily tank because I don't think any of us really want to see that but would you rather see them push their odds closer towards getting Cade what's your ideal finish yeah I think that the way that they're going to make like a significant move in terms of improving the roster is actually probably more likely in trade, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we know how free agency works and, and we know even this summer, right? Like guys are already that, that people might've been counting on have already signed extensions. So um, because of that, I think for them to finish the season strong, meaning we continue to see the good things from some of these young players And, you know, even like someone like Kevin Knox too, you know, like the right guys having a good second half, I think it's important because if they then want to get involved when inevitably, because it's the NBA and there's always some crazy thing going on where a player wants to move, um, they're just going to be in a better position to do that because they'll, their pieces will be viewed better, um, like I always said that, like everyone will point to like San Antonio or these teams over the years and be like, oh, you know, uh, wh- how did they get, how did they find all these like late draft picks? It's like, I don't know if they really found better picks or it's that when they only have to play 12 minutes and they're on a winning team, they look better. And I feel like that's something, you know, we might see more of here with the Knicks, um, you know, that, that can sort of help them out. So, you know, with the lottery, it's just, you know, we know how it goes. Like even when Michael Jordan, LeBron James, the two most extreme examples, even once they were drafted by those teams or even Ewing with the Knicks, you're still talking several years before they are actually like turning you into a contender. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a short path. And it's not to say that obviously you want to get those guys, 
but you know, if you don't and you land like the second or third best guy, um, you know, that's just not a route that's going to quickly turn things around. And I think the Knicks see it as we have enough young pieces. It, it, it's not like we're starting from scratch. So if we add some veterans to the young pieces we already have, that's what RJ Barrett was. He was a high pick. Um, then, you know, we, we can start making some more serious moves. I, uh, to your point on that, I think this season for me has also been about um, kind of what you said earlier. I think, I think before the season started because of Leon Rose's connections and um, you know, how many ties he has to uh, players that were former agents. There was a part of me that was like, I just through the tea leaves signing Tibbs, a, a more vet coach, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily, or at least have the perception of being a developmental coach. But even though I think he has developed um, some of our young guys really well, but um you know, I, I feel like I could see the Knicks making a big move for like a Levine or uh, an Oladipo or before he got signed to Mitchell. But now I feel like because of the way we're playing and our record and the way we look on the basketball court, there's a part of me that feels like I don't even know really what the ceiling is for this current group that we have. And I'd almost rather figure that out before making a trade and, um, and like you said, you know, free agents will want to come and play here if they see that this team is successful. Um, and, you know, Rose has been patient, so I'm not I'm not necessarily worried that he won't be patient. But I just feel like as fans, the one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is the ceiling collectively of all of these guys under tips. Um, and I just I just feel like it's even when I expect them to kind of just fall off and say, Listen, they've been they've been playing really hard. <laughs> I just feel like we're gonna go through a string of rough games. They do something that surprises you. Uh, so I I just feel like that is a, another piece of this conversation that you know has to be considered as well when we're looking at like what what's the team gonna look like in the next two to three years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. but yeah, but I feel like Leon Rose isn't done adding talent. I mean, this year, I don't think he's done. And I don't, to like what you said, I don't think Oladipo is off the table of those guys you said. I think Levine would cost too much, but Oladipo would cost less. And there's just been smoke about Oladipo for a while. So I feel like that one is possible. I'm not sure it would be a good yeah. idea, but I feel like that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, no, I think so. And and I guess, you know, the, the, the one guy, uh, funny enough, we haven't mentioned, right, because he's been the biggest, um, probably the biggest reason they've had success has been Randall, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah that's true. It's like, uh, you know, it, it shows you, right? Like, we're so programmed. We're accustomed we, to it now that he's yeah, just exactly. good. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> you know, he's an interesting one, too, right? Because it's like, you either look at it now as he is now maximized what he is worth. He is playing at an all-star level. He is on now an extremely good contract, right? It went from people being upset about his contract to now, if you look at his level of play, you could argue he is on one of the best yeah. contracts, yeah. right? So um, because of that, that, you know, that becomes a question, like, can you, 
or to, I guess, yeah, the question is, do you cash in on that? You know, it's like a stock, mm. right? Like, are you cashing in on that now? Or are you saying, you know, no, I'm going to hold. And I think that I'll, you know, re-sign him. And he's like part of the core. Um, you know, I think Knicks fans have reevaluated that. If you had asked that question literally three months ago, you would have gotten a starkly different answer. But, you know, I would hate to, to see that, um, you know, that maybe maybe this is the high point for him and, and they and they kind of missed the point of what they could have uh, done with it. I That's a really interesting question, Chip. I want to get uh, your take on it too. But I, I, the only thing I'm worried about with re-signing Randall, because I actually agree if you cash in and you, and you do sign him, I do think on a positive note, it does send a message to the league that if you play well here, you will be rewarded. Um, which I do think has some value. I don't think it's immense value, but I think it does matter. Um, the only thing I'm worried about with Randall and me and Chip, we were you know fortunate. We talked to his uh, trainer from over the summer. Uh, he's he's put in a ton of work. He was super focused coming into the season. Cut down weight. Tibbs said that he was you know very impressed with his conditioning, and all of that has clearly led to uh, a really great season. I'm not really worried about Randall continuing this high level of play, but I am worried about him continuing this high level of play. If other players come onto the team that are also, because he's, he's, he's functioning really well as a point forward and a, a player that it has a lot of the ball in his hands um, and he's making decisions but I just I wonder how he will be able to adapt his game if we get kind of a, you know, whether it's an Oladipo or another high level scoring wing, um, how that will affect him. I think that's my only concern. I'm not worried about that because he was awesome in New Orleans with Davis and Drew Holiday. He was really good there. He was great off the ball there. That's why I, uh, everybody was upset last year when <laughs> when Fizdale made him like a quasi-LeBron James and put the ball in his hands when he clearly wasn't ready for that last year. But I, I think he'll be even better probably with a guy like Oladipo. I think he'll – if he – obviously he's playing really well as, like you said, the point forward right now. But if you, I think if you take the ball out of his hands a little bit and ask him to do less – considering he has so much responsibility and he's playing so many minutes and he's been so good defensively. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's expending so much energy, both ends of the court. Like if you bring on a guy like Oladipo to handle the ball. Yeah. I think that would really benefit him. Yeah. And obviously that's a the big ask. He'd probably have to give up something for him. But I, I think uh, Randall would only benefit from, Oladipo or just anyone who who would stretch the floor for him. Randall and, and Barrett would benefit from that. And uh, Rose, unfortunately, won't help them there. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's it, right? It's it's roles, right? I mean, every player, um, you know, I think it's Jeff Van Gundy who'll always say it, you know, it's about when a player like accepts their role and buys into it, that's when, you know, it, it really starts to work. So, you know, right now, obviously, you know, Randall has found a role that, that has worked, you know, as the roster currently is. And like you said, it's not that he hasn't um, thrived in other roles. I guess the question then becomes, 
you know, if he's going to be an all-star this year and, and his numbers are going to be what they are, again, luckily his contract's not up yet. Um, so that they, they still could just punt, to, you know, another year down the road. Right. Um, but, you know, the, I guess the question is like, what, what do you end up having to pay him to then, to then maybe not play? Or I guess what I'm going to say is it's tough in the NBA because you run into these issues where guys who are really good that you want to keep and you know you can make work, you have to eventually then ask the question of like, oh, well, can I pay them as a top paid player on my team in two years? I don't know. But I think that's that's also what's kind of nice of Frando. You don't have to make the decision until a whole nother season. So if you say he plays this way for two full seasons – then at that point, it's like, well, yeah, maybe the answer is you pay him like a top player because that's a big enough sample to say he he is that type of player. If if the decision was this summer, I would be, you know, maybe to my comment earlier, like I'm worried that they don't cash in at the high mark. I mean, maybe maybe thinking about it, it's like if they had to make the decision this summer of signing them, I think I'd be more worried about that. But the fact they have a whole nother year does help. Yeah. I think if he comes in next year and doesn't have quite the year he had this year, it'll change perception for sure about whether or not he should be traded. But it, I mean, right now he, he looks just so amazing, but it's, I mean, that's one of the best questions. Uh, the best talking points is should they trade Julius Randall or not? And I mean, his trade value is that's his trade value is uh, incredibly high, but that's one of the, it seems like, one of the things that smart teams, especially in small markets do is to sell high on guys that aren't going to be there in the long run. So it seems like if the Knicks don't think Julius Randall is going to be there in the long run, then that's the thing they should do is sell high on him. But obviously they didn't know what they had. Yeah. This year, there's no way they thought he was going to be this good this year or else they wouldn't have drafted Toppin. Right. I mean, I just can't imagine they would have. (laughs) Well, that's the other, honestly, that's kind of the other piece of the conversation too. Like is like, how are we going to develop Obi Toppin if Randall is making, you know, a, a lot of money on this team for the next four years. The thing that, the thing that you love about Randall too, is like his fit with Mitch is so good. Um, that's another thing that, you know, kind of helps. I mean, they, they don't have spacing, you know, but any semblance of spacing that they have is because Randall can stretch the floor. Yeah. I mean, Him and RJ have been great season, together but, this year too. Yeah. Yeah, they have. Um, but honestly, that's another piece of this too. I mean, how much they have to believe in Obi Toppin a lot. They wouldn't have drafted him where they, where they did if they didn't. And, and it is a question that's worth asking is, you know, if Randall is still on this team, what, you know, how close can you get to OB's ceiling with, yeah, right. you know, and, what I mean? and does OB, does OB become the piece we're talking about trading? Oh, and isn't it funny how it works? Like, you know, quickly is become, you know, everyone's favorite story. And right. obviously you're not taking him if you took a, a guard um, higher up and, you know, we'll, we'll find out if that, who ends up being the best guard, you know, in that eight to 21 range, but or 25 range, wherever it was, but, um, but yeah, you know, but the point is that it's good problems to have if you yeah. have guys playing well and guys with upside like Toppin. I mean, I don't, I don't think Toppin's like trade value, you know, has all been impact just because 15 games, he hasn't, you know, come in and, and torn the roof down. So, um, you know, that that's a good problem to have. 
Yeah, I uh, I would agree with that as well. And, and regardless of the uh, kind of the positives and negatives of our potential, you know, extending Randall conversation, I think we're all on board with, uh, you know, this man hopefully should be an all-star. I know we've all probably voted for him at some point. Uh, I definitely hope that that comes through. Um, but I thought we, we would also transition and talk about um, kind of a different venture, JB, that you've engaged in. Um, writing the the daily Mets newsletter that you have the Metropolitan uh, something really cool that I just think like I know Chip and I you know we both write for various sites uh, a lot of people that follow you do the same and um, just uh you know kind of wanted to just pick your brain on on that process it, it seems like I guess uh, the way I could describe it is like kind of the truest labor of love um, that, that you <laughs> probably have I know you're a big Mets fan but um, if you could just talk to us a little bit about how that decision came about to go forth with that. Um, and and I'm, I'll be interested to pick your brain on, on some other aspects of it as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, it's funny. It, it sort of did happen on a whim where, you know, I, as you guys know, of Nick's Film School, we have the newsletter there. And I really like the newsletter format. Um, it's always funny to me because in, in non-sports, so, you know, politics or news or business, there's so many newsletters, you know? So if, if you talk to people who follow those things closely, they'll, they'll say like, all they do is get newsletters. But then in sports, if you ask someone, do you get a newsletter about your favorite team? Like there just aren't a lot out there. Um, so I always felt like it's a, it's a good way to, to get content to people and you avoid some of the, the click um, stuff that you have to worry about on a website. Um, so yeah, so I was like, you know, why not try it for another team, you know? And and that's what kind of brought me with, with the Mets. But I think for me personally, it's also, like you say, it's a labor of love. It's also like a challenge. And I know, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that wish I was just pushing out the, the film edits um, on the Knicks nonstop. Um, but for me, it's just like I needed like a new, a new lens. Um, and the Mets right now are kind of giving me that with, with the baseball. I just felt like I had spent so long breaking down every possible angle about the Knicks that, you know, again, since this isn't my full-time job, it's a hobby. It's like I needed something else that would kind of stretch my mind in a different way. And um, with baseball, you know, like, you know, with all the stats and everything, I mean, there's so much, so many places you could go with it. And especially right now, there's just so much, um, you know, in terms of, you know, spin rates and all, all these type of things. So um, that's really what it was for me. It was just like a challenge to do something different that I, you know, I felt like I hadn't already covered uh, to a large extent uh, like I had with basketball. And perfect timing too, with Steve Cohen buying the team. Yeah. <laughs> perfect yes, timing. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. So that definitely helps it out. I mean, there, there'd be no other off season in Mets history you could write a day, you know, it's five days a week. So it's not day, week, week daily, I guess you'd call it. But um, yeah, you, there would be nothing to write about. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting too, because I get kind of what you're saying with the whole Nick's content piece. I feel like, you know, you put so much hard work and research into it. Um, I feel like, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it almost becomes like, you know how certain people are going to react to your idea and and which which ones are going to be positive and negative and then it's kind of like this cycle over and over again where you put things out and and the conversations um i don't want to say if they become stale but maybe they become repetitive to a point where it's like 
yeah, I just, I, I need to, I need to find something different or, or kind of, like you said, look at it through a, a different lens. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. So, um, and I think it helps, you know, with anything in life where if you look into more than one topic, it then helps inform maybe that original topic. So, you know, I do think now because I'm kind of launching it up, I've been sort of, you know, a hundred percent almost focused on the Mets. Um, but I feel like that will kind of, you know, flow the other way eventually. And then hopefully that lens you get by looking at a different sport and different things then helps you look in a new way when you come back. And I think, you know, I think those things are good. It's just the way we're all set up. It's easier. You, you know, you're working for a site or whatever you have a following on Twitter. It's easy to just stay on that one topic. Um, you know, so, and it is funny. Cause I mean, I, I could literally put out, you know the most craziest thing I could think of about the Mets and, you know four people will like it. And then the Knicks, I could just like, you know basically tweet nothing and, and it gets a lot of engagement. So it's, so it's, it's easy to like wanna feed into that. And I think for me, it was like, okay I wanna, I don't wanna just respond to that. I wanna, right. you know, like I said have like more of a fresh thought. How, um, how many hours of research would you say that you put into um, either the newsletter or just various things related to the, the Mets fix on a daily basis? Um, yeah, that's a good question. That's where my sleep uh, gets impacted for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, starting it up, it takes longer because at that point, you know, you're coming up, I was coming up with like graph, I like to do graphics. I'm coming up with like templates you know, my wife always jokes to me because I always say to her, no, no, trust me, once I get these templates set up, it'll all be a lot easier. Um, but, you know, in, and I talked to Macri about this because he obviously does the Knicks newsletter now every day. I mean, right. it's, it's usually two hours, I would say, to write the newsletter. And um, that can definitely bleed into like three, depending on what you're looking at. But, you know, once you have like I said, sort of a flow going and it helps when you're writing every day, you get into that flow. So things that if you're writing once a week, you might have to spend longer looking up. Um, you can kind of take some shortcuts. So I would say it takes about two hours. Uh, but the reason, you know, like, you know, with Daily Knicks, I had, you know, I had to put that down and put other things down is I like to research things. So like, I like to read a lot of what other people are doing to kind of inform. And that, I don't, you know, it's hard to, put a time on it. Um, but you know, that, that definitely adds to it. So for me, that's, it's more like, I like just going all in on one topic. And then it's so funny. Cause then I just, it makes it hard with other things. Like people, I'm a bit, you know, I grew up going to jets games. My dad had season tickets, but now with football, like when the super bowl is going on, I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know like any of these guys. (laughs) I just can't, I just can't. That's what I think loses out. It's like, you get really deep on one topic and then you lose a little bit out on the others. Mm. Um, Another question I wanted to ask is um, depending on where uh, this goes with the newsletter or, you know, would you consider either bringing on or or hiring an intern? I know, you know, some of the other um, sites will do stuff like that and probably help with the research part of it, you know, yeah, no, I mean, luckily I have one um, one other writer, uh, Blake, who's helping me with the Mets one. And, you know, with, with Macri, you know, we, we always joke that, you know, we have our bromance, but it's like, that's what made it work. Like we, when we found each other, you know, having someone else who has the same work ethic 
And then obviously with, with his writing, you know, is, is far better than mine. So I think it worked out well with, with the newsletter, um, especially, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. The thing that's tricky, I mean, everyone goes through this, right? Like you're trying to create something, you do it for fun, but then if you do want to make some income on it, unfortunately for independent content creators, there's not a lot out there. So you almost have to run like a tight shop if you want to, you know, make at least something from it. Um, but then you also don't want to capitalize all your time. So I think that's always the, the ebb and flow. And with newsletters now, especially Substack, the way that's working, um, you know, I think people are trying to, everyone's trying to launch their own and, and turn that, you know, into a paid thing. So ideally it would get big enough that we could spread that love around and that work around, but, you know, we'll see. And, and um, you know, right now it's all, it's, it's all free. So it's just kind of doing it for fun anyways. Got you. That makes sense. Um, Chip, do you have anything else for JB before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. No, I think we asked him everything we want to ask him, right? Yep. I, I would say that as well. Um, well, listen, man, uh, absolute pleasure talking with you tonight. I know we had, uh, you know, some few interactions while you were in charge of Daily Knicks, but uh, definitely appreciate all the help there. And um, before we wrap up, if there's anything that you are working on that you want to promote, uh, tell the people listening where they can find you on Twitter. Please do so. Yeah, yeah, thanks. No, it's definitely fun. Because yeah, it was fun, kind of funny as we're talking about like Daily Nick's a good example, right? Like we technically work together, but between doing everything crazy, we didn't get to talk like yeah. this. So I'm glad, glad we got to. But um, true. yeah, I guess people can check out uh, at Mets Fix on Twitter. And that's where you'll find the link to the newsletter. Today is actually, I mean, you guys will probably send this out obviously in a, in a day or two, but on Monday, we put out a, a special newsletter where Adam Fisher, who used to be in the Mets front office, um, wrote, uh, you know, about what it's like to sort of go after a player like Trevor Bauer, and, and he had some good uh, story on Cespedes. So um, check that out. And, and then, yeah, obviously all the Knicks Film School stuff too. Most definitely. We will do. Um, for everyone listening, you guys absolutely have to follow JB on Twitter if you're a Knicks or a Mets fan or just a, a fan of good content in general. Um, once again, thanks so much for coming on and for everybody else listening, we hope you guys are staying safe and we will talk to you soon.